and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. To view the entirety of our service, please visit our Facebook page at The Tabernacle Family or our YouTube channel at The Tabernacle Today. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Thank you also for your support of Charles Wilson. When he was here last week, we went to lunch afterwards with him, and he was very complimentary about you guys, and so thankful to be on mission together as he plants the church he's planting in Roanoke and helps other church planners. Let me ask you the question, does anybody here like to eat? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten a cup of flour and a glass of milk and put a little flour in your mouth and then just took the milk to wash it down and just said, woohoo, yum. <laughs> Anybody here ever done that? Well, how about this one? Have you ever gotten some cream icing, poured a tablespoon of bacon powder on the top of it, and ate to your heart's content? Have you ever done that one? No? So good, so good. Well, how about this one? Have you ever gotten a stick of butter and then taken your salt shaker and shaking salt all over the entire stick of butter with salt and then chomped on it. <laughs> I can taste it now, can't you? Well, how about this one? Have you ever taken some raw eggs, mixed some blueberries in, and topped it off with some vanilla extract and drank that concoction down? Hey, that man has. How about that? <laughs> Woo! What a blessing. You don't know what you're missing. Actually, though, you guys have probably had all those things in your mouth many times, but they were mixed together and baked, and icing and berries were added to the top. Look at this picture that we have here. The perfect cake takes all those ingredients, and even though you you think of table salt by itself going in your mouth, you go, oh no. You mix it with all the other stuff, bake it up, put the icing on, and then the blueberries on top of that, and you got something really special. You had cake. And together we're going to see some qualities that God wants us to mix together, not just in our own lives, but also in the church. And when they get mixed together just right and baked up and everybody does their part and does the thing that they need to do in the moment, uh, you know, forgiveness, golly, that's like a, having some uh, um, salt by itself, isn't it? You know, it's hard to do, but when we do it, it just helps all that God wants to do in the midst of the body. And so all those things put together, we're going to see something like that together in the book of Colossians today, chapter three. Hopefully you're there by now. We're in verse 12 as we continue on in this series through the book of Colossians. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds together everything, everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ, let the Bible dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Put on... Put in, put first. Let's pray. Father, we come to you so thankful. This text calls for thankfulness three different times, and we are thankful. We're thankful for the seniorest of saints that sang in the choir all the way down to the youngest of persons involved in that skit just now. We're so thankful for the way that your plan is to bring the generations together, bring different kinds of people together in your house to gather together and love one another, to grow in you, to grow together in Christ, and from that position of growth to minister to needs in the community and share the gospel locally and globally. 
We thank you so much for all the ways that gets done through our being one another in Christ. And Lord, thank you for what we read in this text. We're really in the relational section, the relational command section now, the book of Colossians. And this is so practical, Lord God. And I pray that you will continue to help us to put off the things that need putting off, to put on the Christ-like qualities that are here, to keep putting into ourselves the scriptures, Lord God, and to put Jesus first in all we say and do, Lord God. Help us to be that kind of church, those kind of people, along with all who call on your name here and around the world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, as I said in the prayer there. We are now in the practical teaching portion of the book of Colossians, and we know that the book of Colossians has two chapters of really good theology, just like Ephesians has three really good chapters of theology telling you who you are in Christ, your position in Christ. And then the last half of Colossians, like the last half of Ephesians, a lot of similarities in those two books, says because of this position you have in Christ, now here are the practical things you do for Christ with one another to make the most of your faith and to get this gospel extended, the kingdom of Christ extended, his rule extended around the world in hearts now in anticipation of the day where he'll rule physically on earth after his return. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul made clear that every believer has an all-sufficient Savior and we've received an all-sufficient salvation. And then he also told us because of that we can reject false teachers when they try to persuade us that Jesus is not enough, that we need something more than Jesus for salvation. When they try to tell us that in addition to what the Bible commands, you need to do these extra things that false teachers comes up with, usually very legalistic things, or sometimes they minimize a desire for holiness. I love that song that we just sang about holiness uh, is Christ in me. And I know holy, the word holy can scare people, but I can assure you that if you want to be like Jesus, if that's your driving desire because of your faith to be more and more like Christ, then you want to be holy. That's all holiness is about is more and more being like Jesus as you walk through this life. So we want to reject all that false teaching out there that says Jesus is not enough or that you need to add something into your salvation or the biblical commands. No, no, a thousand times no. The Bible says that we have in Christ and in our scriptures everything we need for life and godliness. Amen? Amen. In the last two messages we got into Colossians 3, we saw Paul instruct believers to respond to this Savior, to respond to the salvation they have by putting off all the sexual sins that used to characterize their days without Christ, and to put off the speaking sins and the anger that's so often behind it, the judgmental attitudes behind those. And having addressed what to put off, he then talks about what to put on. And so here we are in verses 12 through 14, we see that we're to put Christ-like qualities on. I love these eight qualities mentioned in verses 12 through 14. They remind us of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. They remind me of the things said about love in the great love chapter. What's the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians? 13, yes. And they remind me of Peter's list of virtues in 2 Peter 1 and his exclamation after listing out all those virtues that we're to try to develop in our lives. He says in verses 1, 8, and 9, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And so Jesus died to set us free. He saves us. We turn to him. And then his Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us, and he wants to help us to develop these Christ-like qualities as we go along. Now you might be thinking, wait, Pastor Danny, I thought the whole point of those type qualities being called the fruit of the Spirit is that a person cannot produce them without the Spirit doing it in and through them. And you are in a sense correct. That's why my favorite verse, going all the way back to my teenage years when I was saved, is John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit, but without me you can do nothing. And so, yes, job number one for the Christian who's been saved by the grace of God is to abide in Christ, to dwell in Him, to live in Him, to seek His face in Scripture and prayer. And as you abide in Him, uh, then you will bear much fruit that will glorify God. That's why, look how he starts this in Colossians 3.12. He says, put on then, 
as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Before we go to the traits, the Christ-like qualities, he reminds them of the only type of person that can put these on, someone who is already one of God's chosen ones. The word there is elect, one of God's elect, one of His holy ones, one of His beloved ones. The word chosen ones is the word we do get elect from. The word holy can also be translated as saints and many times is in the Scriptures. Put on, you elect, you chosen of God. Put on then, you saints, those washed in the blood. Put on, you beloved ones. The word beloved is in the perfect tense, meaning those whom God has already made beloved. So he's talking to those that are his now. If you're here and not a Christian, you can't try to do these Christ-like qualities, they may help your situations around you when you start treating people kindly rather than as a mean person or something like that. But you've got to drop back a step further and get the issue of your faith in Christ settled. You need to be born again. And then when His Holy Spirit takes up residence in you and you abide in Him, He's going to empower you to do these things. But He does tell us to do these things. He does tell us to see ourselves putting off that which should not be there and putting on what should be there. And so we put off, we put on. And that is a great thing to have in your mind as ways when you think about when you're about to uh, yell at someone, you, you put off the rage and instead you put on kind words instead, helpful words, instructive words. You speak the truth in love like we saw modeled in the skit here. So let's make sure we understand that you're saved only by God's grace alone, through your faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And then you say, because of that, I can put off, I can put on. You are already as beloved a saint in heaven's eyes as you ever will be. Now, if you understand that, say amen. Uh, So I really like that word chosen. I like to be chosen, you know. Uh, He chose us before we chose Him. We turn, His Spirit convicts us. We turn to Him in salvation. We repent, we believe, and then we walk through the door that says, believe and receive. And on the other side, it says, chosen from the foundation of the world. And God's got all that figured out, you know, as He alone can do. Uh, It's so neat that way. So I like that. And I love the word, the concept that we're saints now. We're washing the blood, we're saints now. But that third one, that we are God's beloved and we'll never stop being God's beloved because we're in Christ. Doesn't that make your heart go pitter-patter? You have been made the object of His love. You are His beloved. And the things you do are not going to make you more beloved or less beloved. You are His beloved. Just like a parent thinks of their child, loving them. Maybe disappointed in some of their choices and actions, but they still, they just love that child. And they'll never stop loving that child. But let's make this clear. Because of the language of the text, to put on, to put off and put on. Believers are not just to sit around hoping to see Christ-like behavior develop in their lives. We are to be intentional about putting off the wrong things and putting on the right things. And one of the great problems for many sitting in this room, many watching online is, you just don't care that much about doing what Christ says, about what Paul writes here. You've already got way too compartmentalized a faith. Jesus' smile and interactions for Sunday. Monday at work, I'm going to return to the potty mouth. Tuesday night, I'm going to shout the wrong things at my kid's game and get in conflicts with the referee and stuff like that. And you're going to go through the week with a compartmentalized faith. You just don't care about Jesus being Lord of every area of your life. And to you, the Holy Spirit comes and said, I have saved you for a purpose. You've come to know Christ. You are God's beloved for a purpose. You're part of His family right now. You bear the family name. As in Antioch, where they were called Christians for the first time. It was derogatory. Look, they're little Christ. They want to act like Jesus. And the Antioch Christian said, why, yes, we do. (laughs) You meant it as a derogatory accusation. We'll take that. That's what we want to do. We want to be like Christ. Let me ask you the question. Do you want to be like Christ? 
Do you want to put on the kind of things that were true of Christ when he was here? Would you like others following you throughout a day and throughout the week to say, you know what, in that situation, I saw Danny Campbell respond the way Jesus would if he was here. In that very stressful situation at work, I saw Elizabeth Campbell respond the way Jesus would if Jesus was here. We're told to be intentional, to put on these Christ-like qualities. Look at your neighbor and say, put them on! Do it again! Another way! (laughs) And he says here, let's go down to the list, put on compassionate hearts. Put on compassionate hearts. Now he told us what to put off last time. Stop looking at those who aren't like you with judgment and contempt. Non-Christians act like non-Christians because they're non-Christians. Lost people act lost because they're lost. We're praying for them. We're trying to win them. But we want to put on hearts of compassion toward them. To, uh, and, and then we think of some of the people that come to church that we know. And we think about the hardships they're facing. We saw it wonderfully laid out here in the, um, in the skit. Um, the professor didn't know what Edwin was going through there. Um, And so when he found out, his whole mindset changed. Well, sometimes that's going on right beneath the surface, and we're not even listening. Uh, We're not even taking the time to say, oh, why did they say something like that? That's not like them to say something like that. Let Let me see if everything's okay. Are you okay? And have compassion. Put on a new mindset toward them and do different actions toward them. It's in the mind. It's in the actions also. The word for hearts is probably closer to us having guts. I like that. Uh, Get gutsy about your compassion for others. Compassion's elsewhere translated mercy. Think about the great Micah 6-8 passage that says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly. Try in your own self to do right things. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. It all starts with a humble walk for God, but that translates into yourself trying to do all that He's commanded. Give yourself a break when you need to receive His forgiveness, but also extend that to others rather than holding others to a higher standard than you hold yourself. We are to love and practice mercy toward those who aren't like us. Just as God saved us out of our brokenness and sin, He can save others also. I've told the story about how easy it is to get off track, but I'll tell this story again. Doug Barr, who brought me to church when I was saved, uh, didn't see lovely things in me. He saw a real turkey, a real jerk, a fellow senior in high school, but who was a real turkey. He loved me anyway. He developed a relationship with me anyway. He invited me to church, and I heard the gospel and was saved, and I'm a Doug Barr guy. But my sophomore year in in, in college, I was there, and I noticed Doug was hanging out with somebody that was really sketchy, you know, sketchy guy. And, uh, you know, I started to judge Doug, and I thought, why is is Doug hanging out with that person? That guy's a real turkey, a real loser, you know? And uh, I remember in that moment the Holy Spirit saying to me, Yeah, that reminds me of another loser Doug Barr used to hang out with. And it hit me. Doug had gutsy compassion. He had gutsy acts of mercy. He could wade right in there when others just said, what a jerk, what a turkey, I won't spend any time with him. And he developed a relationship with that person. He did it with me. We were at a Christian college. He was still doing it there, looking for another future Danny Campbell or whatever that would be. Thank God for people that show gutsy mercy, compassionate hearts, They look and see what you have been and the junk coming out of your mouth now. That's what others see. That's what you see. And they look and see what you can become if you turn to Christ, if somebody shows you that love. Put on compassionate hearts. Then he says, put on kindness. Say, put on kindness. Put off unkindness. Put off meanness toward others and put on kindness. It's such an unkind world. And I I tried to... um, Validate the, story, the little story I'm about to tell you because I, I, I preached it once before. I, I couldn't find my documentation of it, so it may not have happened, but I think it did. So let me tell it to you about a great act of kindness. I think of Marilyn Monroe. She was once asked, did you ever feel loved when you were young? And you might know Marilyn Monroe spent her childhood in 12 foster homes and an orphanage. She just bounced from place to place. If I recall the story right, after pausing for a long time, Marilyn said, I felt loved once when a foster mother was putting on her makeup and she turned around and playfully booped me with her blush on the nose. That was it? 
The only time you ever felt love growing up was that simple act of playfulness and kindness. That's what she said, if I remember the story right. What if more people had shown her kindness when she was young? What if more people had shown her words of, spoken to her words of kindness and shown her deeds of kindness? What if you did that as you come to church, as you go through a week? Would that make a difference where you work? What if to the biggest turkey at your workplace, you all of a sudden started doing nice things for them and kind things for them again, even though it may not be reciprocated? Those of you frustrated as all get out with your spouse or your children or your parents or whoever it is, what if you put on a heart of kindness again towards them as an act of glorifying God and uh, serving Christ? Next he says, put on humility. Well, we know that there's pride and then there's humility. I do like to tell people that the opposite of pride is not humility because what pride does is it glorifies self. It makes much of yourself. I deserve it, you think. I got to push myself forward. Now, the opposite of pride is actually glorifying God, right? I know a lot of people who act humble but don't glorify God. So humility is a step to get you to where God wants you, and that's for Christ to come first in all things, and that's what, where this passage is heading. But so many of us glorify ourselves. God wants us to glorify Him, and we've got to first realize the need of humility in our lives. God is God and we are not. And that's why it's so important to live your life to glorify God because Thomas Watson said it well, a sight of God's glory humbles. The stars vanish when the sun appears. A humble person has learned not to compare themselves with others and like what they see anymore. It's like we use a scale of 1 to 100 and we say, oh good, I'm, a, I'm an 80 and that person's a 60 so I can keep on judging them. We see a 90 and go, yeah, they're better, but I'm pretty good. And God ought to bring the best of us to, you know, everybody that's getting a passing grade to heaven. And God says, that's not how I see it. You're using a scale of 1 to 100. Heaven's using a scale of 1 to a billion. And the only one that's ever acted like a perfect billion was Jesus himself. And so you're all, none of you make it past 100. You're all sinners before me. You're all desperately in need of me. You desperately need to get over yourselves and to get on with God's glory. When you see the sun, the stars vanish. When you see God, it puts you who you are in perspective. I think of all the Christians I've met over the years who are insecure in who they are. And they believe if they don't fight for their own recognition in the eyes of others, they're somehow going to be cheated. Some are as talented as they think they are. And others are nowhere near as talented as they think they are. But the proud person gets tired. They wear themselves out being their own publicist. If that's you and you think you've got to fight for your own honor and fight for your own positioning and things like that, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of that? They get angry inside when others get the assignment they want for themselves. What does the Bible say? It says, if you will humble yourself before God, what will he do? He will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. It says, let another praise you and not yourself. It says to outdo one another in showing honor. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you outdid someone in showing honor? No, you get the credit. No, you get the credit. No, no, you. But it's all about Jesus anyway, right? It's about glorifying him. Put on humility. And that leads right to the next one. He says, put on meekness. What is meekness? Meekness is strength under control. When it says that Moses was the meekest man on earth, it does not mean that he was the lowest man on earth. It means his strength was completely consecrated to God and under his control. He had such a prayer life with God that if he, God would have let him start over with his own kin rather than the Israelites that were so frustrating to work with. He was meek and he said, no, no, I don't want that, that, that to come down. When God was ready to judge the people, he said, don't do that. What will the nations think of your honor and glory? There was strength under control. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, and a meek person has learned to control when to speak and acts for God's glory. They're just about to let it out, and they go, wait a second. This was not the time to say that. Let me tell you when the time is not to say stuff that's hard to say. Sunday morning. You come to Sunday to worship God. You come to fellowship with each other. 
Now, there are things sometimes you want to say to somebody. Never say it on a Sunday. Talk to them during the week somewhere else. And speak the truth in love then. And have that conversation there. Don't you ever ruin Sunday morning worship by bringing stuff that needs to be handled another time of the week in. A meek person says, no, no, this is not the time. But we need to set the time. Right? Put on patience. It's so easy to be impatient with people. I think of a sheep and a shepherd, and uh, shepherds have to be patient with their sheep because they so often try their shepherd's patience, right? So be patient, be patient, be, bear with them. And in the body of Christ, we try each other's patience. Because of that, we need to be very intentional. Uh, it's so easy to defend your own honor, to want to lash out at somebody lashing out at you. And instead, we need to be patient with people. Parents have to be patient with their children, right? And sometimes uh, children need to be patient with their parents. If you're on a team, you've got to be patient with your teammates some. If you're in a school, you have to wait on others. And it's so hard to be patient, but it's one of the things we're to put on and be intentional about doing. What does that look like? Well, he tells us in the text here, it first means bearing with one another. See it there? When we have complaints against each other. And unfortunately, too many times Christians don't bear with each other well. Young Christians have complaints against older Christians. Older Christians have complaints against younger Christians. Those who prefer one style of music complain about others. Those who still dress in the business casual dress of the 50s judge those who dress in the business casual dress of today. To have a relationship with each other, we have to be patient with one another. And see that God is doing something in our generation in this time. It doesn't have to look just like it did in the wonderful 30s that we had. And the wonderful 60s that we had. And the 80s and the thousands and things like that. You know, I've told you just as far as the glorious history of this church. Danny Campbell is not trying to compete with the past. I'm trying to celebrate it and see what God wants to do in our day. There's the next person to reach. There's the next family to get together and get to where they need to be. There's the next mission thing to support and go on. And of course it looks different in the year 2023 than it did in 1931. But God is good. And His Spirit is here. And He's got assignments for all of us. And, you know, I'm sorry that our church was so good in the past. And Danny Campbell doesn't compare like that to the wonderful evangelist that founded this church and the wonderful R.J. Barber and how he was such a promoter and crowds flocked in based on him. We were on TV, we were on the radio, Lamar had all that going too. And, and you just don't have it that good right up here. But if everybody here wins somebody to Jesus this year and brings them to church before the year's out, <laughs> the church will be full like you wanted it to be under R.J. By the way, there were at least a dozen people committed to running a bus route when R.J. was pastor too. And to take their Saturdays and visit people up and down their block and blocks to help bring them in. And so, gosh, guys, there's a lot for all of us to do to win people to Jesus and to keep this thing moving forward going to the future. Amen? Amen. Be intentional. Bear with and do your part. Now, if you let the Holy Spirit, He's going to reveal to you times and ways you've sinned against other believers here in church. And you'll do what it says next. Forgive each other just as the Lord forgave you. You know, I, I, I'll tell you this, I know about Christians and church members. 100% of people agree that forgiveness isn't a good idea until they have something to forgive. Then all the justifications come out why in this case, I don't need to forgive like Jesus forgave, right? Unforgiveness is a poison you drink hoping another dies. It's messing you up because you won't forgive. And of course, there's two parts for forgiveness. The one always happens, the other one you need to be willing to have happen. The part that always happens is before God, you say, God, I don't want to hold on to this bitterness I'm feeling toward this other person. And so I'm going to choose to do what you told me to do, to bless those who curse me, to pray for those who persecute me, to do good to those who have used me. I want to have that posture toward them. When I think of them, I don't want there to be an asterisk about their name. And I think of all the things and clench my teeth, all the things I'm angry about. And so God, take it away. Give me forgiveness there. 
And then the second part is the part where when the person owns what they've done and says, I now understand what I've done to you, will you forgive me? Now that may happen because you go and have a conversation with them. Maybe because somebody else had a conversation with them. But when they come to you and say, I get it, will you forgive me? You say, well, I've already done that before God. And yes, my sister, yes, my brother, I forgive you. And relationships go on. But holding on to unforgiveness just messes up people. You say, well, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Do you? What if Christ thought that way, right? What if Christ looked down and says, there's not a person on earth that deserves to be forgiven. There's not a person on earth that is worthy to receive my blood. He died for us while we were his enemies, exactly when we didn't deserve it. He forgave us and we're to be forgiving too. And that just helps churches in so many ways when it's not people on this side and people on that side and people up there and people down there. And, you know, you have five different classes the same age where uh, it's just the different people that have had run-ins over the year and all the different stuff, you know. God will bless this church if we intentionally put off sinful speech and actions and put on Christ-like qualities But our church will die if we keep pushing people away through unbiblical expectations and don't practice agape love. And that's why he sums all this up in verse 14. Look what it says. Above all these qualities, those are great qualities, but above them all put on love. And the word there is agape, unconditional love. Put on agape love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Well, there's a lot of qualities there. And if we tried to do them all in our own strength, we'd just get frustrated. I tried to be kind, and, uh, you you know, that guy cut me off with the light again. You know, I tried to do this. I tried to do this, and they're taking advantage of that. And so it, it really shows whether or not we've put the right stuff inside of ourselves to be able to put on those Christ-like qualities. And that's why verses 15, 16, he says, put in yourself, put inside your heart. And I'm calling them the three S's here because they can each start with an S. We need power sources to bring these qualities to life in our midst. And Paul states here three things that we're to intentionally put into ourselves to power the production of Christ-like qualities. First, put in God's shalom. And the word there is peace, if you want to fill in the blank there. And in the Old Testament, the word for peace is shalom. But it's more than just calm. It is, uh, it is that, um, that whole um, frame of mind where you're so committed to the Lord and you're at peace with Him and He's regulating every part of your life. So in verse 15 he says, let the shalom, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You were called to that in one body, church, and to be thankful. Put in God's shalom. Let me ask you a question. What rules in your heart? What is it that rules in your heart? For some of you, it's anxiety. You just can't stop being anxious. You've prayed to receive Christ, but anxiety rules in your heart. For others, it's worry. Uh, For others, it's fear. Anxiety, worry, or it's fear. Let me ask you this question to help you let Christ's peace, His shalom, rule in your hearts. If you are saved, what do you have to be afraid of? The psalmist said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? What do you have to be afraid of if you're saved? If you die, what's going to happen? You'll instantly be better off than you've ever been. You'll be with Jesus. However you die. Die in a car wreck with Jesus. Die of heart disease with Jesus. Die of cancer with Jesus. If you're saved, what do you have to worry about? Now, I trust you have given what you do worry about, what you get anxious about. I trust that you've given that over to the Lord. Philippians 4, 6, we're going to put it up here, 4, 6, and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything. The reason it says that is because we're often anxious about all kinds of things, including Pastor Danny. That's something that comes at us. And what happens is, all of a sudden, we never necessarily put it on, but it's on us. We're anxious. So... He tells us here, 
Put off the anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything, but instead in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God, I've got this on my mind and heart. It's too big for me. I need to pray to you and I need to give it to you. Because worry is not going to make any of it better. It's not going to make any of it. Being anxious about this is only going to mess up my insides. It's only going to mess up me. And so I'm doing your formula to deal with this anxiety. You said give it to you in a frame of reference of thankfulness. We're thankful because God can handle what we can't handle. He can take on himself what is crushing us, what is, what is, what is knocking us down. He can do that. And what does it say next? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. His, his peace will guard and rule your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, our problem is we don't want to give stuff to God without Him giving us understanding of why it's happening, how He's going to get us out of this, what's going to come next. We want understanding. He says, no, you can't understand. You can't handle the truth. I'm not going to give you understanding of this thing that you're anxious about. What I'm going to do is if you'll give it to me and let me do the things only God and my angels can do. If you'll let me do your part, then my peace, my shalom will rule your heart in this situation. Let this peace rule in your hearts rather than your fear or your anxiety. If you prayed, peace wants to rule your heart, the shalom of God. What do you have to worry about after you've entrusted it to God? I mean, there's only three ways he's going to answer a prayer, right? He's going to answer it, yes, you're right. I'm going to take this right away from you. Or he's going to answer, no. No, you've got this thorn in the flesh. You're going to have a long-term battle with this cancer or whatever. But whenever God says no, it is for a greater yes. And of course, heaven is the greatest yes, right? God, how about this one? This will be my future bride. No, not that person. But one day you'll look back if you are not to be single for life. If you are single for life, God will give you rich opportunities all along to use that for his glory. But if you can look back later on, that one that he has for you finally comes into your life, you'll understand how good it was that he said no. I sure do. He said no for a greater yes. Or he's going to answer wait. And waiting's hard, but it's not a time for the anxiety. We've, given, we've set that aside and entrusted this to God. The waiting is a time to not look for shortcuts to bring about God's will our way. The waiting is a time that can be hard, but it's a time that he's developing our faith, our character, our perseverance, and others are looking on and saying, if God can get them through that, he can, he can be my Lord too. I want him too. I mean, the whole point of, from heaven's perspective is he wants people to go to heaven instead of hell. And so he's got people out in the world. And when we respond differently to things than the world does, that's when the world says, okay, I want what they got. That's what I saw in Doug Barr. He had troubles at home. He had a, a mom that was sick and those things. And I thought, he's got some power at his disposal that I don't have. And I wanted what he had, and I got it. It was Jesus. If he answers your prayer, no, it'll be for a greater yes. That's why we can let his peace rule. That's why three different times in these last verses he reminds us to be thankful. Why are we to be thankful? Because we've got a tough situation we're facing? No, because we don't face it alone. You're not alone. God is with you. You're not alone. The people of God are with you if you're part of a healthy church where we're pouring love into each other and helping each other get through. Let me speak here about the joy of it is pastoring this intergenerational church, this tabernacle with uh, this past few weeks, the funerals we've done and uh, five or six deaths in the month. It goes near up to 10 or 11 when you add in those of you who uh, said goodbye to a grandmother or something like that. A lot of grief this past month. 
And you, church, have, have stood at your best this past month. I think about 20 and 30 and 40-somethings grieving Pastor Lamar and seeing older people here who have themselves served like buoys and lighthouses in the midst of life's storms. One of the big problems we're having, and I, you know, there's a lot of wonderful church plants, plants out there reaching people in part because we got older together. We got more finicky together. We stopped doing what we needed to do to reach out to the lost. And a bunch of young folks said, if they're just going to do that all the time, I'm going to go over here to this church, you know, that dresses a little bit more like we're all dressing now and sings a little bit more like we're all dressing now. And thank God for those churches and the people they're reaching. Can I get an amen? Thank God for that. We helped plant some of them over the years through our cooperative program dollars and stuff like that. And that's a good thing. Let me tell you why I love intergenerational churches, though. I know younger people would like to have a little bit more music the way they like it, and so would older people and things like that. But you can do that extra in your youth meeting and your 20-something meetings and in your uh, forever young type meetings and all those things. It's got to be a balance if you're going to come together across the ages. There ought to be a sense where a grandmother and a granddaughter are next to each other. And, and granddaughter sees a tear in grandmom's eyes, and after church, grandma says, that was granddad's favorite hymn we just sang. And, and there ought to be a sense where grandmom's looking and saying, I don't understand anything about that 7-Eleven song we just sang. But man, my granddaughter sure was bebopping to it, and it was one of her favorites from camp, and it remembers when she gave her life to Christ at camp this past year. And everybody ought to say, woo We're together across the generations in the house of God because it's so neat when you have the kind of month like we've just had. And there's 20s and 30s and 40-somethings came from multiple states away to be here as part of Lamar's funeral. They remember the impact his preaching had on them. Now that, that, that can happen in a, in a hip, cool, young church too. But what can't happen is when they get here, there'll be somebody they know that taught them in Bible school. Somebody know that they know there that changed their diaper in the nursery. Somebody they know that's still here serving Jesus. And so many people that they're around now are flippant and not serious about their faith. And they come in and they see Margaret Elliot again. That's worth fighting for. That's worth giving up all the stuff that doesn't matter whatever age you are to have for the future. It's worth everybody. It's worth putting off the stuff that doesn't need to be there and putting on that which will keep this church healthy and help us be part of the gospel movement God wants going forward in ours and other churches. A 58-year-old dies and teenagers grieve his death because they served on the tech team together. I agree with Mark Dever. He said, you know, biblically, what is the charismatic church? Charismatic comes from the word for grace and the word for joy. What's the more charismatic church biblically? A church where there's dancing and singing for hours or the one where teenagers and 20-somethings show up at an older saint's funeral with tears in their eyes because of the impact those saints have had. I know the answer. You do too. You come to church to stir up love and good works in others. Christians who cultivate God's shalom, who put peace in their lives, they're better empowered to produce Christ-like qualities. And the second part of that is what we put in. We put in the shalom. We let that peace rule. The second thing we put in is Scripture. One of the greatest verses in the Bible is right here in Colossians 3.16. You know, there's the wonderful John 3.16. It's amazing how many other wonderful 3.16s there are. Here's one of them. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Scripture will power Christ-like qualities if you let it. I'm not going to say too much more about that here because that's what we do all week long, right? We want to reproduce faithful and fruitful followers of Jesus Christ. What's the first way we do it? We teach Scripture. We do it here. We do it in small groups. We do it in the Iwana ministry and the Word of Life youth ministry and all the different ways we can. Men's ministry, women's ministry. We teach. Let me just say this here. Don't you dare teach and admonish others until the Bible is dwelling in you richly. Biggest problem in the body of Christ. We teach to others what we've not made personal and real at the deepest level to ourselves. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Then you teach it and admonish one another. Well, you say, Danny, how do you know if it's dwelling in you richly? Well, over time, if it's dwelling in you richly, these Christ-like qualities we just read about are being produced in your life. You say, Pastor Danny, isn't that circular reasoning? Yes! It's the absolutely best kind, the relationship with God kind. It's like this. I love Elizabeth and do the things a good husband does. Sometimes. I need to do it more. I need to put on. She loves me and does the things a good wife does. My love feeds the deeds and my deeds feed the love. As I read God's mails to husbands and do what it says, it nourishes Elizabeth. As she reads God's mail to wives and does what it says, it encourages me. It's this beautiful circle and our love just keeps on growing. And that's to be happening with you and God and with your Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. The problem in a lot of churches is people teach the Bible and admonish others before letting it dwell richly in them first. We need to be more like Ezra. I wonder if the Smiths named their son Ezra because of Ezra 7.10 that says, Ezra had set his heart to first study the law of the Lord. Secondly, to do it, to do it himself. And third, then to teach his statutes and his rules in Israel. Hey, I hope this is true of every single one of you. But whether you teach in the nursery or our seniorest of saints, let it dwell in you richly first. Do what it says. Practice and model that for others. And then teach it. And we'll experience a revival and a harvest here at the tabernacle. I think of all the times in his ministry, Jesus pushed the casual barely committed disciples away. Why did he do that? Why in John 6 did he send them all away and it was just Peter and they said, hey, you guys want to leave too? (laughs) And you get the feeling he was so comfortable in his own skin as, as God on earth that if they had, he'd be like, okay, they weren't the ones. Peter said, where else can we go? You've got the words of life. We've left everything to follow you. And in that moment there, Faith was strengthened. It needed to be strengthened again. The commitment needed to be re-upped again and, and every day, right? Every day. Take up your cross and follow me, says the Lord. But the truth is, Jesus would rather have one person committed to his cause than a thousand people that are merely interested. And if just one person has heard that right now, things will change that can't be unchanged. God's shalom and scripture immersion power the production of Christ-like qualities. And so does the third thing, put songs in. Notice it continues on. And even though it's talking about putting the word of Christ in richly, we know that happens through scripture memory, through scripture study. He goes immediately into the power of songs because he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And there it is again, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's only so much that can fit in your head and heart, but music needs to be a part of it, because guess what? Music gets in, doesn't it? Music gets in. It's Eddie's birthday. So thankful for the care he gives to sing a balance of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms uh, oftentimes have such wonderful things, sometimes said to the Lord, sometimes said about the Lord. Hymns are doctrinally rich treatises. Oftentimes they don't have you singing directly to the Lord, but there's so much that encourages there. The spiritual songs are when you give voice to your prayers and voice to your faith as you sing things directly to Him, and they're all important in the church. Put off those country songs that encourage drinking and carousing and put some good psalms and hymns in there. Put off that old nasty pop music that degrades people and encourages promiscuity and put you some good spiritual songs in there. And don't let Christian songs become a source of the same kind of fighting in the church Paul already said to put off. Warren Wearsby was right. Blessed are the balance. Thank God for it all. I like it all. One of the best apps you can get if you don't have it is the Moody Bible app. It's got the preaching on there. It's got a Southern Gospel channel on there. It's got an old classic uh, um, choir type channel on there. It's got praise and worship channel on there. It's got an urban ministry channel on there. It has a Latin song channel on there. And Danny Campbell, during the course of the week, plays them all. 
Thank God for all the different ways. Let's sing songs about the Lord. Let's sing songs directly to the Lord. Debbie Mooneyham had a wonderful post on Facebook this week. It was an Emily Austin quote. She said, some days there won't be a song in your heart. Sing anyway. You got the shalom, you got the scripture, you got the songs in your heart, and that powers these Christ-like qualities. And that leads us to verse 17. Put Jesus Christ first in all things. He says, in whatever you do, in word or deed, whatever words you speak, whatever deeds you do, in Everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. What is this about here at the end of this section? Why is it at the end of this section? Well, because if you're living your faith outright, Christ-like traits won't just be seen in church. They will be. We'll all benefit from it. (laughs) But they'll show up in your home, in your school, at your workplace, when you watch TV, when you post on Facebook or Twitter. They'll show up during the weekdays. They'll show up on Friday and Saturday night as much as Sunday morning. Christ will be above all in your life. Christ first. Christ always. In all things, Christ preeminent. Christ above all. When I was a young Christian, one of my favorite verses was Matthew 6.33. I saw it there as I was reading my living Bible. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Four months after I got saved, my younger sister got saved. She saw the transformation in me. She saw kindness instead of meanness and all these different things that the Holy Spirit was generating through this new convert. And it made her want Christ too. She gave her heart and life to Christ. I remember being a freshman at Bryan College and getting a letter in the mail. It was from my sister. And she said, let me show you one of the coolest verses I found in my Bible study the other day. And it was Matthew 6.33, one of the first verses that had popped out like that to me. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Church, put Christ-like qualities on. Put shalom, scripture, and songs in your heart, and put Jesus first in everything you do. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about The Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.